Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 012. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, sometimes we choose the path of least resistance because it's the easiest path to take. Sometimes, however, that means listening to the wisdom of the crowd as they chant, Jump off the cliff! You can imagine how that story turns out. Maybe you even know from your own experience. Is there hope for those times when we choose to stand alone? Is there a victory? Let's find out. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand, if you stood and sang the doxology with us 30 seconds ago. Okay. Now, raise your hand if you would sing a solo right here, right now. Yeah, I know, there's going to be a couple people at least. Tell you what, I'll sweeten the deal. I'll even let you choose your own song. Why the discrepancy? I mean, you stand. We know how to do that. You sing. You already said you could do that. You just did it 60 seconds ago. Why is it so different when it's the whole church or when it's just you? Little bit of the fear factor. Wee bit. I admit, I've been in front of people regularly now for over 20 years. And I will still, nine times out of ten, prefer a group context. Being, playing in a group, singing in a group. I, anybody who's been in choir knows it can be a lot easier singing as a group than just trying to sing as a soloist. But the fact is, anytime an I becomes a we, things change. They can change for good or for bad. Sometimes it changes because when we get into a group, a group can help us step outside of our comfort zones, try something maybe we, didn't, we wouldn't try before, musically, singing in a choir, as an example. It can be bad, though, because, well, let's just see. The journey continues in Matthew 15. Now, at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, Pontius Pilate. Anyone for whom they had asked, the crowd. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. And then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to the crowd again. Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call king of the Jews? And the crowd shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked the crowd, what, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, the story is getting darker and darker and darker with each passing verse. Help it still to transform us. Amen. As you can see, mob mentality can go pretty far. Unfortunately, this idea isn't limited to Bible times. 
I was talking to a friend this week about this theme, and, and as I mentioned, his eyes almost kind of glassed over, and he went into the stairs like, yeah, you can just turn on the TV and see how this happens in just the same frequency and just the same extremity as it did in this story. So given the reality that it is much easier to go with the flow, I mean, it is the path of least resistance, is there something we can glean out of this story? What does it have for us? Fortunately, a couple of things, and, and hopefully some of which will help prevent us from ever becoming a part of mob mentality that goes in the wrong direction. To start off, pay attention who you listen to. I want you to note what happens in the middle of the story in verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have them release Barabbas for them instead. The chief priest stirred up the crowd. There are the ones rabble-rousing the group, getting them ready to go, getting them to try and argue for put Jesus on a cross. Crucify him. Now consider the difference here. What if it had been, trying to maybe stir up the crowd, a nine-year-old leper boy from a foreign country? Would he have been able to get the crowd as amped up as the chief priest did? What's that? But as a child, he probably would have just been shoved off on the side. Children seen, not heard. Much less a foreigner, so I kind of threw that part in there. Much less a leper who wouldn't have even been allowed in the city in the first place. Probably would have just been cast back outside the gates and go play in the garbage heap. But the thing is, it's not a nine-year-old leper boy from a foreign country who's amping up the crowd. It's the chief priests. It's the hometown leaders. People who are well-respected in this community, who have the degrees and the, and the cloaks and the tassels to prove, hey, you should listen to me. That's the kind of group that has a little more of an influence over a crowd. Maybe a lot more of an influence over a crowd. Leaders, people who you listen to. And it makes it harder if you're going against what they're saying or what they're doing to stand up on your own. Because, hey, this is a person who has some authority in this community. It's probably one of the reasons that James writes, it opens up the third chapter of his letter. It's not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that those who teach, you could put in even those who lead, will be judged with greater strictness. It's one of the many reasons I feel blessed to have strong leaders around me. Just out of one reason, they'll tell me if I'm about to step on a landmine in whatever way, whether it's as far as teaching, whether it's as far as leading, direction, whatever it is. And the double blessing is they'll tell me before I step on it. So thank you guys and ladies. To do our community a favor, both Woodland community and Newark community, pray for our leaders, all of us. And if you happen to be in leadership, lead well. I'm going to set the focus on Pilate for a minute here. Because he's kind of a, a big character, and he's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place here. So let's give him sort of his day in court, if you will. Pilate is the Roman governor of this little area of the Roman Empire. That's his role in this story. So he has a power granted to him by Rome. But he also has people that he's got to answer to back at Rome. He's got Caesar to be able to answer to. So he has power in a sense... And power that plays out in this arena, in the sense that he has the power to execute people. As John says, in 1910, 
Pilate therefore said to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? Jesus was kind of pleading the fifth on a lot of his interrogation. Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? That's how he comes into the picture of this whole narrative, of this whole story. He had tried to tell the priests, hey, deal with them according to your laws. You're the ones who are bringing them before me. Fine, I get it. Deal with them according to the way you want, to the way your laws handle things. And the chief priest said, well, the fact is, we want him dead, but we don't have the authority to kill him. So we need you to get on board so you can kill him for us. And it really puts Pilate in a bit of a pickle. Honestly, if you look at the story, he tries plenty not to execute Jesus. But Pilate's main goal, above and beyond let this guy go, is he wants to avoid a riot. He is trying to keep the peace. He's trying to keep his little governing area just survive through this crazy festival without an incident. But the priests are stirring the pot. And the crowd is getting ramped up as crowds tend to do, as mobs tend to do. And if he doesn't listen to them, if he doesn't give in, he's going to have that right that he fears so much. And then the way that's going to play out for him is Rome is going to hear about it as the capital city. They're going to come in to his little province and say, you know what, Pilate, you can't keep the peace. You're out of here. You're fired. And ultimately it becomes a bad career move for Pilate to let a riot happen. So he goes with the flow, path of least resistance. He trusts the wisdom of the crowd and he hands down a death sentence like he had probably done thousands of times before. If you lead on any scale, whether it's leading a family, leading a team, leading a business, leading a ministry, you aren't exempt. Because the fact is, the wisdom of the crowd will try and influence you. Will try and stir you to go one way or the other. And the decisions that you make as a leader can go further than you think they might. Have implications that go beyond just where you're thinking the ripples are going to stop. But here's the good thing. Stand for what's right. Victory will be yours. It's interesting to note the way Mark writes, a little bit bigger than the sections that I read today, probably about 32 verses. And As I've said before, Mark is a very economical writer. He does not waste words. And in 32 verses, Mark calls Jesus King of the Jews six times. It's almost like he's rubbing our noses in it. And the mob and the soldiers and Pilate do the same kind of thing. Because they're all sneering as they use this title for Jesus. The soldiers are mocking him as they weave him a crown of thorns and shove it on his head. Put this purple cloak over him, which is you know, a sign of royalty. And they start mockingly bowing to him and giving him homage and all that kind of stuff. Truly, this is, these four words are the big reason Pilate gives in. Now yes, Pilate is spineless. And he is incredibly foolish for not listening to his wife, who told him in Matthew's Gospel, he said, don't have anything to do with this Jesus. Don't condemn him. Things are going to go very wrong for you if they do. Sort of the wisdom of his wife. And he says, well, he, just, he doesn't listen. He's just <laughs> foolish. And Pilate, in his role, 
he might have flogged a nutty prophet who was just kind of going off the rails. He wouldn't care less about blasphemy. And that was the priest's deal. Let them deal with that. But a would-be king to a politician, that's a big deal. That is, if it's not the crowd that gets a riot going and causes and wrecks the peace, a would-be king, when Rome hears about it, not going to work out well for anybody. This political threat needs to get on the cross. But remember, the cross isn't the end of the story. There's still the empty tomb yet to come. And Pilate thought, as Jesus hung up on the cross, thought he was rid of the threat. Rome, by extension, maybe thought the same way. All the, the priests, they thought they won. They're rid of their threat. They're rid of this Jesus. Then, a couple days later, the tomb gets emptied, and there's a whole lot of people going, uh-oh. And we read what Paul says out of Philippians 2. Therefore, God highly exalted him, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All of a sudden, all the mocking stops. The soldiers, the naysayers, the mobsters anonymous, they all have no choice but to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That Jesus was the real deal. That Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus had to stand alone to do that. All, I mean, his best friends all deserted him hours before he goes to the cross. He stood alone, and God exalted him. And sometimes we have to stand alone. And it's scary, and it's hard. And I mean beyond just singing a solo in front of a bunch of your family and friends. But if we're standing for what's right, God sees it, even if the mob doesn't. And God's pleased with that. I'll give you an example. There was a discussion a few years back among the leaders of the church. And honestly, as I went into this decision and this meeting, I really thought it was going to be a a cut and dry decision. Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to say yes. We're going to move on to the next thing. One person said, maybe this isn't the right play. Maybe we can do this a little bit differently. And it wasn't easy. I know. Because I was probably one of the first people who was kind of convinced and started to think, "Uh, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe we do need to, to rethink this at least. Even being the second one, I would start to feel some of that heat. And I'd be like, yeah, I can't imagine what this is like doing this as the, being the first person. But soon the discussion led to a decision. And we ended up going with the soloist's idea. And the way it played out, I believe God blessed this church in ways past what we would have even conceived had we gone with the wisdom of the crowd. Had we gone with the original decision, the original cut and dry, let's move on. So the fact is, the wisdom of the crowd is not always worth the cost. Now I'm going to leave it to your insight and your knowledge and experience to differentiate between peer pressure and good counsel. Because there can be times when a bunch of people who really have your best at heart are offering counsel. And that's different than peer pressure. But if nothing else, keep this in mind for your kids. 
Keep this in mind for your grandkids. Because maybe you don't deal with peer pressure. Maybe this is not something that you know, is a part of your everyday life. But I guarantee for those that I just mentioned, it's a big part of their life. We've all grown up past our teenage years. Maybe you remember what that was like. To help them to be able to plan out for those situations when peer pressure is going to hit. I mentioned last week how it is far easier to plan in peacetime. So help them plan in peacetime. Help them to come up with an excuse to be able to get out of a peer pressure situation. And you know what? I'll even give you a pastoral pass. You can tell them to lie. It's okay. You know, set up something that they can text you a code or call you, you know, and ask about a recipe for couscous or something like that that just says, hey, I need out of here. Red flag, get me out. So God wrote this part of the story so you would have grace to be able to pass on to the next generation and the generation after that. Because it does continue. As I said, when you make a decision as a leader, be it of a family or of a ministry or anything in between, the ripples of that go further than we might expect. For bad, yes, but also for good. So pass it on often. Pass it on well. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. On next week's episode, sometimes we get so distracted in our lives we completely miss the forest for the trees. When it comes to the linchpin topic of Christianity, the Easter resurrection of Jesus, sometimes we can become overwhelmed by the different angles from which to see this history-changing event. Sometimes we just have to keep the main thing the main thing. Find out how that can change the day-to-day of your life as we begin our new worship series next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.